1: Podcast fifteen. We are special breakfast people here at Pansu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw wild grain
2: And we can get him out of office and change the trajectory of our country, no matter who stays or wins the White House. I got to try.
1: This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're
3: listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. that you have enjoyed some wonderful family time and that you're off of work and that you're thinking about what's important in your life and not just indulging the madness of Black Friday as you hear this episode. But if you are out there shopping, be careful and know that we are with you in your ears as you go throughout your day. We wanted to share with you our time on the road today because we have finished the very first Nuance Nation tour thanks to our patrons who made this tour possible and to volunteer teams across the country who graciously understood that we are not professional event planners and that this is not our forte. So it was a wonderful time and we had so much help. We can't even I still can't fully comprehend all of the things that people did to make this work. But we went to six different cities and we wanted to share with you what we learned from that experience today and let you hear some of the conversations. And the first thing we learned Era, is that it's hard to capture good audio on the road. Oh,
1: Lord. So we're going to be sharing conversations with you today, but we did not get good sound from Dallas or San Mateo. So sadly, only the people live in the audience captured those amazing conversations. But we will
3: tell you a little bit about those guests as we walk through. So the format for this tour was we started each stop speaking with a guest or guests. And then Sarah and I did a little conversation that we called Democracy 2.0, where we named some big structural changes that we'd like to see. You are going to hear those ideas drip out in episodes that we have planned over the next couple of months. So today we really want to focus on the amazing women who spent time with us.
1: And the women from all over the country and so many different walks of life had really been inspired since 2016 to get up and lead. And we particularly wanted to share some of their stories from the tour with you. So let's start in Thousand
3: Oaks, where we sat down with Michelle Fanaki of Swing Left and actor and activist Piper Parabo. And first, let's hear from Piper, who you probably remember from Coyote Ugly, as well as lots of other amazing films and television shows that she's been involved in. Here's how she got involved with activism
4: real launch into activism was the day the Access Hollywood tapes came out. I was in my house doing the laundry and folding laundry, listening to the news, which is like what I like to do. And they played those tapes. And I got so upset because I just felt like I didn't know that people in leadership talk like this, there weren't men in my life that spoke like this that I knew of, <clears throat> and this was someone in culture, in, my, in the entertainment business, and then someone <laughs> from President of the United States. And I thought, as as horrible as it felt, I just thought like, well, this is a game changer. In the country that I'm in, you can't talk about anybody this way, and this is the end of him. And then when he won, I was just crying just crying and crying because I thought, I don't understand the country I live in. I haven't been paying attention. I felt like I wasn't safe because I thought, oh, I I, I didn't understand what was going on. And it's so common that it's a joke that I must be stupid or asleep or something. And so after crying for two days, I realized I have to do something or I'm just gonna spiral into some depression. And so I, I called everybody I knew. I just went through my phone. And I was like, "Who do you know in politics? Who do you know in activism? Do I have friends in different states? Like, what do we do? Are you going to the women's march? What 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 do we do? Who do you know? How do we?" And I just started right there, and I heard. Um, early on, I heard there's this activist named Dream Hampton, who she did those R. Kelly that R. Kelly documentary recently, but she had I heard her on a podcast called Politically Reactive, and they said, to her, she was talking about John Legend um, coming to her and asking her how to get involved in the criminal justice movement, and he didn't know like that much about it yet, but he just knew that's where he wanted to spend his time, and, and she said, um, you need to show up and listen for a year. Said so everywhere that you're invited, everywhere somebody's speaking, everywhere where you can march or lick envelopes or listen to a speech or whatever, you just show up, show up, show up, show up, show up. You'll, uh, that'll teach you who's in leadership, what's the language, how do we talk about it, where are we working. And in a year, you can say something. That is so good. And I was like, okay, if that's what uh, John's doing because Dream said it, I, uh, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I spent a year just like I jumped into like campaign fundraisers and marches and finding out who all my representatives are and getting their office addresses and starting to call their office, just like everything I could do.
1: We love that advice on listening. Like, I think that that was so impactful and really not just to us. I saw so many heads bobbing up and down the audience as well. And part of what we loved in this conversation
3: is that you have these two women who are now powerhouses in the activism world. And both of them started out without any real footing in the political world. Here's Michelle talking about how she got started.
0: You know, what do I do? Where do I go? I don't know anyone in this world. There was no crossover for me. And so I was thinking, I just need to put good vibes out there in the world. Should I go volunteer at a homeless shelter? What should I do? Like, what could I do that would have impact? That was the big question for me. What can I do uh, that utilizes my skills, my time in a way that's actually going to make some kind of difference? And... Two weeks after the election, um, thankfully, uh, my I got a call from um, some of my friends from college um, about another friend from that time, Ethan, who had the idea to create a swim district finder, which would connect you, uh, basically give you the information. Um, easily, which didn't exist, you know, where your closest swim district is. Um, and we connect with opportunities to volunteer to help take back the house. And uh, they said, Do you want to help? And I said, Yes, this is my thing. Yeah, this is how I can have impact. And really, the whole idea is for a uh, uh, four swing left from the get go was building a way for all of us to connect with a way to do something impactful, you know, to to come together and to, to make a difference by homing in on what's going to be meaningful.
3: Sarah, you talked to Piper about how door knocking is one of your favorite experiences, that it involves, you know, being outside and conversing with other human beings and getting some sun. And Piper had that experience, too. Here's how Piper summarized her first time out knocking on doors.
4: And I door knocked for the first time in 2018. Like I went to a community organized thing to like teach you how to door knock because I was so nervous. I went back to my home congressional district where I grew up. I was so nervous to knock on people's doors. I was like, what if they're mean? Okay, one person did slam their door in my face, but that was kind of exciting even. <laughs> that's true. It's so rare. What I didn't know that nobody told me is that you only door knock people who are registered for the party of the candidate you are talking about. So you're not going to get in a fight with anybody. No one, you're not going to get into like a political debate on like taxes or some like really, you know, high energy issue. And you're just giving them the information, like this is the information for the candidate. This is when the election is. Are you planning to vote? You're just kind of putting it on their front burner. It's not like this aggressive thing. It's super naval. Enable- it's a little bit like selling Girl Scout cookies. Like you're just like, hi, and so can I just give you
1: this? And they really focused on how people of different personalities can get involved. It's not that everybody has to go out and knock on doors. We loved this advice from Piper about letter-writing parties
4: but it was really cool like I went to this coffee shop that a friend of mine owned and they set aside a whole bunch of tables at the back of the coffee shop like this is how when you're thinking about like what can I do if I don't want a door knock you know this person owned a coffee shop and so they're like we're going to have a letter writing party and so everybody came and there was like free drip coffee and people brought like stamps and crayons and paper and blah and their kids and we just sat around and wrote as many letters as we could and it was very social but then you're not talking to a voter but at the end there was this huge stack of letters to vote about this issue that we cared about in New York State. It was fun. The
0: 2016 elections uh, generated this really, this unprecedented surge of activism on the left in recent history. Um, it was exciting, uh, you know, and, and it actually is kind of the like the superpower of the grassroots, in, or, or sorry, of the left, because Harnessed, this grassroots power can create this ongoing, reliable infrastructure for campaigns, you know, and it feels like we've entered in a way, like in recent history, this kind of new era of activism because people are so engaged and they're also recognizing that, you know, via... uh, Organizing, you know, in our communities via um, getting trained, you know, as, as well as, um, you know, recognizing our power as as fundraisers, you know, even at, at a small scale and as donors, to stay engaged um, in ways that go beyond the candidates coming and going, you know, being there and being able to uh, support um, campaigns in an ongoing way, like that's never existed before, really, for the Democratic Party. Like this, and that's what where the Left comes in, honestly, with like trying to create this platform for people to plug in in an ongoing way every cycle, a way to continue to harness this grassroots interest and power that has blossomed post 2016 and continues
3: you know, all this energy that's being harnessed, Michelle described as kind of a superpower of the left. And Piper's humility and willingness to get out and just do that work really impressed us, too. Well, my favorite part of our conversation with
1: Piper is that she's gonna come with me and I plan on getting arrested. I'm really excited about this. She talks in very, like, fun and empowering terms about the first time she engaged in civil disobedience. I feel like I'm not an elected official anymore. This is a path open to me, so I can't wait. Well, let's listen to Piper talk about
3: the power of just continuing to show up. I am not going to get arrested with her, but no, I am with her even on if,
1: this Yeah, even if you're not going to get arrested. I think also who
4: I've met in this journey so far, it's not all going to get solved in the elections in 2019 and in 2020 it's not we're, it's not like we're gonna elect some person president and she's gonna <laughs> fix it all
0: <laughs>
4: and so there's so much work to do and the people that I've met in these movements whether it's, trans people, veterans, union members, people that are fighting for fair pay, young people that are fighting for safe gun legislation for the environment, those people I have marched with now, and those people I have fought with now, and we're not going to solve it all in the next 15 months, but I'm not going to let them down, because now I understand the power of an intersectional movement, and that when we show up for each other, even if I don't have anything to say, I'm not the most important person that's here, I'm just going to show up for the march, I can stand in the back and just put my body in the crowd so there's more of us, so when there's an issue I care about even beyond 2020, I can just get in my car and go over there. And There was this Yemeni bodega strike in New York City, and I was having coffee with a friend of mine, and he was like, I'm going to the Yemeni bodega strike. And I was like, I'm with you, brother. <laughs> Like, I don't know if I know any Yemeni people who own a bodega, but, like, you can tell me about it on the way there. Hand I a strike. uh, Yeah, and it's like, if you have marched with me, let me show up for you. And that's how we learn about more than what's going on inside our little bubble, inside our little lives.
3: You know, this part of our the discussion with Piper really reminded me of the conversation that we had in San Mateo with Reverend Penny Nixon.
1: Reverend Nixon is a minister and an activist for LGBTQ rights. She has worked on affordable housing for years. And I loved when she basically just said, this is a crisis and it's not a new crisis. And I'm happy that we're finally treating it with the importance it deserves.
3: So when you see those threads among Michelle, who runs an organization, Reverend Penny, who obviously leads a church community, and Piper Perabo, this actor who's using her platform across the country to the level of giving people her phone number to mobilize teams, Mm -hmm. you really get to what for me was the third learning of this trip, which is it is really important to support and elect more women.
1: So in Michigan, we sat down with Congresswoman Haley Stevens, who is a dear, dear friend of mine incredible woman, a fabulous advocate for her state. And what we really really loved about Representative Stevens is her willingness to see the big picture and those details together. I love it here. I got I came out of a hotel and I was like, "Look at Michigan. It's just showing off. Look at this beautiful. It's lovely here. We went to Grand Haven. Oh. Uh-huh. And of course we went to Holland and bought yeah. all the things. You know, I've got a of that says Holland is my happy place. <laughs> yeah. well, so you know
5: what we say in Michigan. Great Lakes, Great Times. Pure Michigan. We really have put an emphasis on our ecotourism. We are the biggest state east of the Mississippi. Uh, lots of no, no, natural no. land, uh, lots of natural parks and things along those lines. Well, we so,
1: loved it. We went camping. We went to the beach. I'm telling everybody in Kentucky. Go to Michigan for real. I have
3: been here about 40 minutes today. (laughs) I've really enjoyed myself. (laughs) We hurt some feelings when we referred to Congresswoman Stevens beautiful Michigan accent because we got all these messages, <laughs> and we're like, I'm gonna show up like show with my best Michigan accent. But like you understand when you hear us, right, how our ears adjust a little differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well
5: on Twitter after the election someone made a delineation about the best regional accents in TV ads. And I won. Yes, like yes. I, I beat out I beat out the the, the governor from Georgia. Yeah, so yes, I I, I, like, I'll take that claim to claim. Yeah. And my <laughs> colleagues know me for my passionate uh, Midwestern accent and passion yeah. around a bunch of different. Well, let me tell you, so. I've
1: known you for a long time, yeah. and you had that accent from the second I met you. So it surely wasn't dialed up for the campaign. I can promise <laughs> you that. And so look, so I have this beautiful official portrait, but I also have. This is the congressman at our very first Pantsuit Politics meetup ever. Do you remember this? In Chicago in 2016. Look at this. Look at this loyal support from the beginning. Break young faces.
3: One question that I have for you though that that I think about a lot is that, so you have all this passion, all this energy. You just
1: got there and you've got to run again. Ugh, the two year term. That's another number we should blow up. I, I,
3: I do think, and I know that this feels counterintuitive to a nation that's always like, tell my the incumbents. But it seems wrong to me that you have to run again so soon. And so I would love to know how you think about that and how much you feel the tension between doing the job and keeping the job mm-hmm. and, and how that wears on you. Well, I'll never bemoan the two-year
5: term and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, we wouldn't have flipped the house. We wouldn't have gotten ourselves into this amazing moment in history had we not had all four hundred and thirty-five members up for election in twenty eighteen. So right, the the presidency and and that big vote, and we kind of found ourselves in this puzzling circumstance where, okay, now about once a decade we elect a president who wins the electoral college but doesn't win the popular vote, and so. What was the boomerang, right? It was flipping seats all across this country, all across the Midwest, sending new people uh, in, into office. Now, the point about the politics that I think is a little incongruous or incongruent with our, um, you know, the original tent of our democracy's design is really couched in campaign finance. And now, We also, with this exciting new group of people that we elected into Congress, we elected the most middle-class Congress in history. We elected the most number of working parents, working moms in history. Right, that is something remarkable. But yet, the politics hangs above us. And, and it's, if it's these outside dark money groups that can come in, you know, we hear a lot about in Citizens United, you know, that might be a positive, and that absolutely is a positive step for us to take, which is to get rid of the dark money in politics. That's somewhere we need to go. We absolutely need to do that. I, one of the first big pieces of legislation that we voted on in this new Congress was HR1, which was part of this reform, you know, cleaning up some of this, you know, just what's gone run amok with the With the campaign finance. And also, it has to do with the limits. So, you know, it's like, you know, people can only donate individually. This is why the grassroots is so important, right? Like, they can only donate so much to your race. But yet, you can raise to infinity. So then it sucks up some of this energy. And yet, it starts immediately. So I was sworn in January 3rd. And January 3rd, I had a negative ad running against me. Right. It, I remember it,
1: reading that and it, I was so mad. I was like, this is outrageous.
3: How dare We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back.
1: Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night or long bath.
3: The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days, and it is offered in more than forty cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives—that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great, and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com/pantsuit for twenty percent off your first system. That's o-l-i-v-e-a-n-d-j-u-n-e.com/p-a-n-t-s-u-i-t for twenty percent off your first Manny system.
1: Dot com slash
3: You can't listen to Representative Haley Stevens without feeling hopeful about our country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we got to spend time in our home
1: state of Kentucky with someone who makes us feel hopeful as well. Amy McGrath is running against Mitch McConnell next year, and she's well-known as a retired Marine and fire pilot who ran in 2018 for a House seat.
3: Hi, Amy. Thank you for running for Senate.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, some days I wonder.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us about that, because I remember the last time we saw you in person, you had— a lot of people asking you to run for a lot of different things. And I remember saying to you, like, what do you really want to do? And you didn't hesitate. You said, I want to run against Mitch McConnell. So tell us about deciding to do that and what it's been like so far.
2: Well, I mean, the the decision's a family one, right? And um, anytime you're going to do something of that magnitude, you're going to bring a lot of people who you love into that decision. And, um, you know, I felt like it was something that um, our country needed. And I felt like it was something Kentucky needed, and uh, I didn't. I never thought I would be running for political office five years ago, um, or six years ago, or when I was a kid. But like probably like you, or like many of you out here, um, the 2016 election cycle changed me. And I looked at my husband, who is lifelong Republican, and um, I was an independent for many years. And we both sort of looked at each other and said, "We need better leaders in this country, and we got to do something about it." So this running against McConnell is is the same the same reasons that I stood up in in the midterm and ran are the same reasons to go against McConnell. Because, you know, when you think about everything that's wrong in Washington, it doesn't take you long to put him in the picture mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for that. And and so we got to we got to do something about that.
3: I mean, I assume that you didn't think, oh, that would be really fun. (laughs) Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I've done a lot of hard things in my life. And um, when people said to me, you know, and when I looked and and I asked a lot of longtime mentors, you know, what do you think about this if I do this? And I got some people who said, this is the right thing to do. You should do it. And I got others who are very, very important to me say to me, don't do this. Mm. Um, you have served the country, Mm -hmm. your name is going to be drugged through the mud, he is going to spend $50 million to smear your name, and you don't deserve that. And, you know, I took that to heart. But I also looked at it like, you know what, Uh, we need people to step up. And I have lost friends in battle for this country. And if I don't have the courage to stand up, you know, where are we? Where Mm -hmm. are we? If I can make a difference and we can get him out of office and change the trajectory of our country, no matter who stays or wins the White House, I got to try.
3: Like Piper and Michelle, Amy has found it to be really rewarding getting out and talking to people and leading. Listen to her tell this story. I love this so much about a first time voter during her congressional campaign.
2: When someone came up to me and said, I registered to vote for the first time in my life to vote for you. Awesome. I'm 55 years old. Wow. And that to me was what it was all about because for me it was getting people involved to care about our country, to care about Kentucky, mm-hmm. to and even even though, you know, we ultimately didn't win that seat. We came very close. But sometimes you don't win the game that you've never played before. Mm-hmm. But we moved people in a way that they had not seen before, uh, and in a way where they looked at people running for office as um, they're all this or they're all that or just disconnected with them, and to be able to to reach people at a very at the very core and say, I believe in you, and I and more importantly, I believe in our country, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm voting for you. And that to me was we like, we were all right, both just so struck by the
1: way Amy thinks about integrity, the way she talks about it and especially in
2: this anecdote she shared. The most important difference is um, I'm somebody that is going literally to put my country above my political party, to do what's right and not do what was what, politically expedient all the time and for my own personal power. And I think that that is something that Mitch McConnell has proven that he mm-hmm. it, it has done for 35 years in Washington. Um, and, I, and I really believe that that is something that transcends political parties, it's in, and it's the, the reason I'm, I'm running. Um, you know, so that's how I would be in Washington, somebody that wants to get things done genuinely, doesn't want to obstruct just for the, the sake of obstruction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't want to rip up the Constitution when it's you know, politically favorable, um, doesn't just fall in line with my political party to defend the leader um, of that party because it's you know, popular for, for me, but is going to do the right thing. And actually um, standing up for the oath that you take, that I've actually t- taken for s- six times, the oath of office you know, to, uh, to, to, to swear to support and defend the Constitution, I take that very seriously. So that's how I would, I would be.
3: Amy told many stories that also reminded us of our conversation in Dallas with M.J. Heger. M.J. is mounting a campaign against Senator John Cornyn, and we're going to have her back on the show to talk more about this so you can hear it in her voice. But we were really struck by her telling us that she's finding the landscape right now to be even more partisan than it was in 2016. And that leads us to thing number four from our tour that really stands out, which is that it's so important to maintain historic and cultural and personal perspective on politics
6: and at the end of almost every interview I said if George Bush had not married Barbara Pierce would he have been president which is not actually a question you can answer but it's a it's an invitation to speculate and I asked Barbara Bush this and she said yes absolutely he was destined to be president and I asked George Bush this In the last interview he ever did in his life, actually, I said, if you hadn't married Barbara, would you still have become president? And he said, yes, I think so. (laughs) As only an
1: honest like 90 plus year old man would answer. We spent time in Washington, D.C. with Susan Page, who is the Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today and the author of The Matriarch. And it's just a good reminder of the importance of journalism and the very hard work that serious journalists do.
3: And of where America is breaking down Mm -hmm. right now. Concerns me to think of followers of the president, but I think that's an accurate term. So, what is it like to try to just write a story, knowing that that's where the readership is is breaking down? Yeah,
6: and of course for USA Today, it's a special obligation because we circulate all across the country. We circulate in red states and blue states, um, and we have liberal readers and conservative readers and. Um, readers who don't care about politics mm-hmm. and it means that it doesn't mean you don't want to do tough insightful coverage but it means you have to be really careful to be fair um, and you have to be respectful uh, you know I think it's important not to see either side in their demonized form mm. um, so I don't see President Trump's supporters as being um, uh, what was the Hillary Clinton word um, deplorable. deplorable and How I we forget. Right. And I don't see his opponents as being communist or socialist or whatever uh, word is being used um, socialist uh, is pretty popular right now. Yeah. So I th- I think that's it's but it's it's hard and you know you get a lot of blowback. It's like it's like everybody in America is mad. Mm. I feel like I get up and and everybody feels like things are not fair, you're not writing the right things, you're either too tough or not tough enough on the president. Um, everybody feels Everybody I talk to feels concerned about the direction we're going uh, as a country, and I, feel I like think... we're
1: all mad and simultaneously very tired. B- yes,
6: yeah, and battered. I
3: yes, that's battered. Like, yeah. That's it. We also ask Susan how she thinks about doing this work right now mm-hmm. when things are as tough as they are.
6: That I thought I made in 2016 was not believing there were people I was talking to, right? Because mm-hmm. then you'd go to rallies and talk to talk to supporters of President Trump or supporters of Bernie Sanders or people at Hillary Clinton rallies, and they were telling you what it turned out to happen, but it was, I didn't take it seriously enough. So, wow. I think one thing that we've all tried to do is try to talk to more people and make fewer assumptions. Mm. Like, here's an I, I hate to keep telling you stories about how I was stupid because I would tell you, <laughs> tell you stories about how I was really smart, but in, in 2016, I didn't think Bernie Sanders had any chance of being the, the Democratic nominee, and I covered him as an interesting, candidate but not someone who was a credible nominee and that was wrong you know he did really well um, against the most powerful democratic dynasty in the country and so uh i'm at this time i'm trying to not make assumptions about who's going to get nominated or who's going to win uh because it's not up to me and it's not up to the pundits it's up to like voters so talk to them mm.
3: Our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you.
1: Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15.
3: What are you particularly listening for in those conversations about 2020, given what you learned in
6: 2016? So I think one of the things that we're, listening to seriously now is some of these constitutional questions. Do people, um, do voters care about whether the president is complying with subpoenas from Congress, which would be a very traditional obligation under the separation of powers? Do, do Do voters care about that? Do voters assume that pressuring a foreign leader to get involved in our election is something that happens all the time, it's just now we know about it, which is part of the White House argument? Um, I'm, I'm, I, I think it is not standard practice. I think it is very unusual. Um, but what do, and do voters care about that? Like if, if that happened, is that something we should try to prevent or punish or take action on? Uh, and the other thing is what do voters care about most and it is not that. Voters care most not about impeachment. They care most about what's happening in their own lives. So what is happening in their own lives? Do voters feel more secure economically? Do they feel uh, more in control of, of a future, a promising future for their kids? Um, do they worry about climate change? I mean, that, so that is the other side of it. As, as enmeshed as we are in the politics of Washington, that is not the most important thing in their lives. I loved her insight and honesty about that question.
3: The last thing for me that stood out about our time across the country is that we are going to be okay. There are so many people who came out on like Friday evenings and Mm -hmm. spent time thinking about democracy with us. And the questions that we received from the audiences were amazing. We had a very young woman at our Dallas event who talked about how she's scared because of school shootings and climate change that a lot of people of her generation are going to be lost. And even the way she articulated that question, how deeply she's thinking about it, made me feel exceptionally hopeful. And so I hope that those of you who spent time with us similarly found it to be rewarding. We can't wait to tell you about our future plans to come spend more time in person, in community with you. And just thank you again sincerely to everyone who made the Nuance Nation tour possible. And until next week, keep it
1: nuanced, y'all. David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler.
3: Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin.
1: Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members
3: of the Pantsuit Politics community
6: by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.